Hey Splainers, it's Evan. Due to an audio error, the quality of this episode may not be up to par. You're going to notice a little bit of distortion. Unfortunately, it wasn't a problem we could fix in post. So rather than delete the episode, read you a new one, and lose some of that magic that Jeff and I found this week in the recording studio, here is episode 25 of season 2. A little rough around the edges, audio-wise. It's hurting my soul, but I hope it brings joy to yours. You got some spaining. You got some spaining to do. You got some. You got some. Go Welcome to Splainin', the podcast where two guys explain things to each other that they should know, but they don't. I am M. Jeff Sims. I'm sorry. I am Jeff Sims. I am Jeff Sims. <gasps> dum 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 dun dun. No wrong song. I was singing Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm Evan Smith. In fact. Oh great. Okay good. I was curious. I thought you were Theoden. Well, I was singing Lord of the Rings. Yes. Um, and I was in that movie, but I didn't you play, were that. In I didn't movie, play yes. that role. Yeah, no, it's okay. No, no I was I one of the elves. Were you? <laughs> it was the only one my build was good for. <laughs> I thought you were an ugly dwarf. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first time someone said that to me, Jeff. It's not? <laughs> no. That's upsetting. <laughs> it's a very insulting <laughs> sentence, actually. Um, Jeff? Yes. I'm very excited. Tell me. Because today, yes. we're doing a, what we like to call, back and forth splainsy. A badmonton. <laughs> badmonton, if you will. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm also very excited. These, these tend to be some of my favorite episodes. I remember them vividly. Like, I remember, like, the first one was Superstition, and I, yep. rem- I reflect on that. More often than other episodes. Yeah, it's very superstitious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I do really like them. It's... Uh, I li- the, the ping pong energy is fun. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. As opposed to like listening to you talk for 40 minutes and getting exhausted. Yes, you yawning. <laughs> <laughs> now. Yeah, now. I don't now, yawn so much. Exactly. It's exciting for us. We hope you like them. And if you don't, sucks a suck. And it does, Jeff. It does. That's, it's truly... Uh, that's it. Uh, how was your week, buddy? D- to be honest with you, I feel like it's been like a year and a half since I've seen you. It has not been a year and a half. No, it's been at least I, like four or five days, which for us, is, I think, is a record. It's been longer than usual. Um, you came over the other night and we watched uh, Bo Burnham. That was like last Wednesday. Was it after we finished the, ep- the podcast? Yeah. It was was it? I think, I think it was the next day. Oh, the next day. Um, yeah, so it was. So it would have been Thursday. Thursday. Wow. Today is Tuesday. So yeah, well, four days. Yeah. Well, you went away for the weekend, so there was no choice. Yes. Yeah. It was for the best. We would have been together if we could. I had a restraining order for, for the long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it was court mandated. <laughs> Again, not the first person to get a restraining order for the weekend. No. Nope. That's two for two, buddy. <laughs> uh, I know. Um, guess what else, though? Tell me. I have some corrections. Ooh. Both of them are things that you said and you were wrong. <laughs> no. Yes. You don't. don't even know what they are yet. Well, I guess not. Uh, I have corrections as well, so you go ahead. Okay. Well, number one. You said water, you know, hydrogen dioxide. It's not. It's not. It's dihydrogen oxide. Yeah. Um, or actually dihydrogen monoxide is yes. even more correct. But um, there isn't a, a hydrogen dioxide, which I thought was like, I th- when I went, looked it up, I was like, oh, it'll just be something else. It doesn't exist. Something to do with um, the combination of like oxidation and how atoms work. There is a hydrogen dioxide. Yeah. No, sorry. Wait. Yeah, there is. It is no, a thing. No, no. Dihydrogen. Di- oh, my God. Di- 
hydrogen dioxide is hydrogen peroxide, H2O2. Yes, but, but there isn't a... H2O. No, there's a H... There's no HO2. Yes, there is. There is not. It is. I looked it up. It's in the atmosphere, ironically, because I caught the same correction. Look it up again. I don't know where my phone is. Uh, hey, Siri, what is HO2? Yeah. Oh. Hydroproxyl is ironically in our stratosphere and can actively destroy our ozone. Oh. Yeah. So correction on top of a correction. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Do you want to go ahead with a correction of yours? Um. Yes. Okay. So we discussed the phrase "welcome" or "welcomed." A welcome break is the was the reference. A welcomed break. No. Is welcomed. It is not welcome. It is. I looked it up. So did I. Well, then you got the wrong information. You got the wrong information. No, it's because here's why it's wrong. When it's an adjective, when you're describing the break, it is always welcome. If it's a verb, it could be welcomed. But in that sentence, it's not a verb. This has been a welcomed break. Incorrect. Correct. No, you get. Yeah, you can say this has been because that's past tense. Yeah, that's how it's been. This has been a welcomed break. That's how I said No, it. wait. Hang on, though. No, 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 no. That's still wrong. <laughs> you can't say this has been a welcomed break. This has been a welcome break. You're <laughs> describing the break. The break. You're describing the break. It's an adjective. Yes. You are wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time in Splain in history we both we've debated <laughs> something After and then went and did our research and came back and continuously <laughs> debated it. If there has ever been a reason to call pineapples, it is right now. No, 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 no. I'm, yeah, not, re- I'm not ready for pineapples. No, yeah. So tell me your justification. So mine, when I researched mine it was... Mine just sounds right. And when I Well, Googled that's not it, a reason. And then when Google was like, yeah, Jeff, you're right. And I'm like, thanks. So what did you type in? A welcome to break? And they're like, yeah, this checks out. Yeah. So what I typed in was actually went to grammar websites like no it's never a welcome to break because if it's an adjective then it adjective. has to be then it has to be welcome so your reasoning is it sounds wrong that's what your your research was you went away and went it just sounds wrong no, google I told did, me it sounds i did wrong. it though well then tell me your reason i don't i didn't write it down i just knew i was correct that's all i said <laughs> that's not research <laughs> i just knew i was right so i didn't write it write down the reason don't remember it oh wait it's fine <laughs> the only thing i'm the only thing what i'm getting right now is after someone thanks you the correct phrase is you're welcome not you're, you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> thanks jugal um well let's come back on it Let's research it again, and let's come back next week. Sure. And next week, you need a real answer. Okay. And I'm going to double down on mine and okay. see if I can find more research. Sure. Okay? All right. You're it's welcome on. to do it. <laughs> but you are welcome to do that. I am welcome to do that. Yes. But, and then when we come back and discuss it, it will be a welcomed discussion. It won't be. <laughs> for two reasons. <laughs> One, it'll be a welcome discussion. Two... I'm not happy about it, so it's not welcome at all. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's really... all my corrections. You got any more? Um, no, I. You know what? I did mean to look up, but decided against it for the sanctity of our friendship. Go on. Uh, the definition of what a step was. I do want to know. Me too. I, I, I'm. I'm happy 
to be like, okay, that's what a definition of a step is. Yeah. Like, I'm also happy to like bounce back and forth and argue with you. Yeah, but at I the end of the day, are. I know you are. But at the end of the day, I love it when it's just like, actually, though, it's this. And I'm like, oh, well, I learned something then. Yeah, yeah. Because neither of us were coming from a place of education. I also feel like it's, it's, it's very similar to like a child's first word. It's like, what is a word? Do you know what I mean? Like, in that same sense of like, doesn't mean it has to be in the dictionary. Well, is it I a- don't count a word. Like, for instance, Her- um, Oliver can say ma, he can say da, he can say nen, but in no context. And he won't say it on, res- like, if I would say, say da, 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 he won't. No. Right? No. And if I say, like, where's, where's mommy, he'll look at Tiffany and point, but he can't say ma then. Yes. So you're, he hasn't said his first word yet. There we go. Right? So that's in my I, opinion. That's how I feel about the step. It's the context of the step. Like, if I were to take, like, if I were to fall, and as I'm falling, my right leg hits the ground first, <laughs> that doesn't mean I took a step before I fell. No, but what if your right leg hit the ground and then you fell? That's just the order. Like, it's the same sequence. It's just what you decide to say first. Well, it's not. What if you took a step and then fell down? Well, the act, the, the act of walking is falling but catching yourself and then continuing the momentum. Did you watch Luca? No. Oh, they literally say that. Do so they? It's, uh, it's the new Pixar movie. It just came out. It's uh, okay. excellent. Oh, yeah. And it's just, the premise is like, this kid lives under the sea and he's like this weird sea person. Not, oh, like, yeah. And then whenever, whenever he goes on land, he turns into human. He gets yeah. wet. Yeah, I saw ads so, for it right. on, on So Netflix. he comes up and like, there's already this like younger guy who's like, a, becomes his friend. Sure. Who like has been living on land for ages. So he's trying to teach him how to walk. But he just like takes a step and falls down. Of course. So he's trying to describe to him how to walk. <laughs> and like after a bunch of times where he gets it wrong, that's what he finally comes to is like, it's like you're about to fall, but then you catch yourself over and over and over. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that is what walking that is. That's exactly it. Yeah. I like it. Well yeah. done, Luca. Um, and Jeff. So, and Jeff. Yep. Um, so... What we're going to explain today, mm-hmm. and I'm excited about it because it came up it a couple came, of times. A couple of times. There was one mm-hmm. episode where I was researching something, and at, during the research, I kept seeing the names of like all of these rulers and monarchs and going like, yeah. I can't go down that rabbit hole right now, no. but I want to. I want to yeah. know. Yeah. So I was like, we should do an episode on like monarchs we don't know or we haven't heard about. Yep. And then we decided upon rulers, so we don't you know, single anybody out, Yeah. rulers that you should know, but don't. Yeah. See what we did there? Yeah. yeah. It's like the slogan. Play on words, as mm. one would say. Uh, so we're going to go back and forth and go over some uh, important figures in history. Rulers, leaders, monarchs, kings, queens, the whole debacle. A long line of English queens. Uh, and yeah, so uh, we're going to explain them to each other. I've had some fun shit. Listen. I hope you didn't read about any of them, because you sent me your list so that I didn't pick the same one. Exactly. I didn't. I didn't. No, no, no. So the only... You only read about the ones you picked? Yeah. Oh, great. Like, you didn't read through any of them, like, eh, I'm not going to do that one. Maybe, like, six. Yeah, so what if six of the seven that I have are that? Oh, sucks to suck, <laughs> I guess. You should have sent me your list, so I should have been like, oh, dude, I've read that one and vetoed it. Well, I think they're good. We'll find out. We will. Um, I'll wait till the end of the episode. Um, to what? To, to say there were, there were some, like, honorable mentions, but I don't want to say that unless oh, you did them, because that see. would be awkward. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Um, I'll start. As you were. Okay. Um, number one, Joanna the First. Oh, yeah. You read about her? No, I didn't. Oh, mean God. <laughs> um, Joanna of, I don't know how to say this word. I think it's, it was previously Spain. It was before Spain was Spain. It was this place and another place. Sure. C-A-S-T-I-L-E. 
Castly, like Castly Rock in Game of Thrones? Sure. Okay. And she was known historically as Joanna the Mad. Mm. Uh, she was queen of Castly. I'm just going to double Yeah, down. from here on in, yeah. Um, from 1504 and queen of Aragon. From okay. 15, I know. From 1516 to 1555. Uh, modern Spain evolved from the union of these two kingdoms, Castly and uh, Aragorn. Aragorn, not Aragorn. As a child, she was skeptical of the Catholic Church, which was a problem since her mother was partially responsible for the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, imagine being partially <laughs> responsible. Yeah. Imagine being the one who planted the seed. Yeah. I think we should just kill all of them. Seriously. <laughs> also, we should do an episode on the Spanish Inquisition. We should. Yeah. Uh, her mother did not tolerate uh, this. Evan. Yes. Thank you. That was a poor crackle, but it was. Uh, I'm glad I did. Thanks for drawing all of our attention to it. Um, her mother did not tolerate the fact that Joanna wasn't into the Catholic Church and would subject Joanna to la cuerda, or the rope, in which you are oh, suspended damn. from a rope with weights attached to your feet. I'm just going to say this. I'd love that right about now. <laughs> what is the <laughs> title? What's the caption? Uh, four strong lads. To four, pulling on me limbs. Pulling on me limbs. Oh, that would, doesn't it? There's a thought of that. Wouldn't that feel lovely? Not for an extended period of time. No, but just for a second. Just for like... Oh, yeah. 30 seconds. I can feel it. Um, she was married by arrangement to Philip the Handsome, Archduke of Austria of the House of Habsburg on the 20th of October, 1496. And Jeff, for you, I have a picture, my friend. It's up to you whether you think he was... <gasps> I deleted the picture! Oh, no! Okay, everyone else, go Google Philip the Handsome. I'm going to show Jeff right now. And if you're curious um, to get a quick picture, go to Facebook <laughs> and type in Jeff Sims on Facebook. <laughs> oh, 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 Philip was not a handsome man. He was not a handsome man. That haircut for one, he need, really needed to go to first choice. Yeah. Um, he went to second choice. I'll say. Um, so, he, yeah, he was not the handsome. Following the deaths of her brothers, John, Prince of Asturias, in 1497, and her elder sister Isabella in 1498, and her nephew Miguel in 1500, Joanna became the heir presumptive to the crowns of Castile and Aragon. When her mother, Queen Isabella I of Castile, died in 1504, Joanna became Queen of Castile. Ooh. So, like, a lot of people had to die. And then this is when it gets a little bit Brittany, bitch. Oh. Uh, not in a good way. Mm. Her father, um. King Ferdinand II of Aragon, lost all of his power when his wife died. And he was not okay with it. Mm -mm. Because at the time, when a woman became queen, her husband would be jure... Uh, I don't know how to say that word. Uexris. Okay. Maybe. Sure. Which essentially means they're co-rulers. Just because she was a woman, so you're the guy, you get to be co-ruler, even though you don't sure. have anything but married in. Mm -hmm. Unlike Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, Prince Philip gets no say. Yeah. She's the queen. He's Prince Philip. Yep. And he's only prince because he was prince before he married her. He's prince from a different lineage. Well, he's dead now, isn't he? Yes. Yes. But when he was prince. Yeah. I forgot he did. Yeah. I forgot I he did. I forgot he did. Um, <laughs> but in 15th century Spain, Ferdinand got to be co-ruler. And so Joanna's husband, Philip the Not-So-Great-Looking, gets to be co-ruler as well. King Ferdinand, which I'm going to call him from now on so we can get all the names straight because he's the dad. Ferdinand, yeah, sure. Ferdinand. He's pissed for losing his monarchical... Why am I putting words I couldn't speak? Monarchical. Yeah, that. Uh, he lost his status in Castle, but his wife's will permitted him to govern in Joanna's absence, or if Joanna was unwilling to rule herself. Unwilling. So he mints Castilian coins in the name of Ferdinand and Joanna, king and queen of Castile, Leon, and Aragon. 
just makes the coins. Sure. We're both on there now, Joanna. It's marked on the coin now. It's got to be true. Seriously. And tells everyone Joanna is unwell and cannot govern. Mm. The court appoints Ferdinand as Joanna's guardian and the kingdom's administrator and governor. It's a little bit of like uh, coming back to Game of Thrones. Yeah. When the young blonde kid, not the evil one, the nice one. Yeah. When he was king and his mother was sort of the queen. Sure. Or sort of like the ruler. Um, Joanna's husband, Philip the Handsome, was unwilling to accept any threat to his chances of ruling Castle, mm-hmm. and makes a second batch of coins in the name of Philip and Joanna, king and queen of Castle, Leon, and archdukes of Austria, etc. Literally said etc. on the coin. You stop. I don't know. In response, Ferdinand marries his great niece, who also happened to be niece of Louis VII of France. Oh! Hoping to produce a son to inherit the kingdom of Aragon. And this may just be me being a Slytherin, but I don't get that. I don't get if you're like, I need to produce an, somebody who could be heir to the throne. I'll be long dead, but at least my bloodline lives on in that way. Like, if I don't get to rule, why does that matter? They're going to get killed anyway. At some point, they're going to get, like, by putting your grandson or son or whatever into that thing, Yeah, you basically were like, yeah, they're going to get assassinated. Yeah, I think there was, like, a presumed... um like heir like a like a like a hierarchy so like if my son is eventually going to be the king i will remain in not like actual power but like i will have say right. over things i'll have the ear of the king exactly yeah so that's you, a good point you do retain power until that kid comes of age yeah do you know what i mean i understand if you have no lineage yeah then you are irrelevant right um, yeah, I wasn't thinking about the fact that, like, while he's alive and his son is king, yeah. he still gets some It's kind of like a good perks. investment. Yeah. You well know, done. like a yeah. 25-year bond or something. Plant the trees that you won't see bloom. Exactly, yes. Um, so then, good life insurance. <laughs> so then Philip, with the exaggerated good looks, dies of typhoid <laughs> fever. Everyone says Ferdinand had him killed. Meanwhile, Joanna's over there giving birth to their sixth child, Catherine, who, fun fact, actually became queen of Portugal. Okay. Good, good girl, Catherine. Let's go on, honey. So, uh, Dad's power hungry, confines Joanna to the palace, and just starts ruling. At the age of 17, Joanna's son, Charles I, comes into play, and he wants to rule. And it's his right to rule if his mother dies, but she not dead. Mm-mm. She's just imprisoned, basically. Oh. So, like, because her dad was like, go yeah, to the castle, yeah, yeah. you're not well. So, Charles ensured his domination and throne by having his mother confined for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Joanna's condition got worse, and she apparently became convinced that some of the nuns that took care of her wanted to kill her. It was difficult for her to eat, sleep, bathe, or change her clothes. Charles wrote to her caretakers, It seems to me that the best and most suitable thing for you to do is to make sure that no person speaks to Her Majesty, for no good could come of it. Uh, This is how he's treating his mother. uh, Joanna died on Good Friday, April 12, 1555, at the age of 75. Her mental health is widely disputed. There is no record of any mental health issues uh, while growing up. Only once she got with Philip the Less Than Handsome. And he was clearly a sociopath, as was her father. So it seems that like everyone else just needed to paint the picture of mm-hmm. her being crazy to gain power. Sure. However, and this does not speak well to Joanna's mental state, which I've been trying to bring up yes. and will now tarnish. Oh, go on. But Joanna was apparently so in love with Philip that when he died... Joanna had his tomb reopened several times so she could gaze upon her husband's face. When she had to flee town to escape the plague, she demanded to take Philip with her and had the tomb opened once again to make sure he was still inside. He was still there, presumably decaying, 
But that didn't stop Joanna from kissing and caressing the corpse and then taking it with her when she fled. Oh, yeah. And that's Joanna the Mad. Ugh, Joanna the Gross. Sorry, honey. Sorry, honey. That was not enjoyable. Uh, All right. I feel you, Joanna. You're crazy. Gross. Uh, My first one is Ivan. The Terrible? The Terrible. Oh, no. Yes. Prince I Is that your Batman voice? What? The one you just did? Maybe Yes Yes That's good Where's the detonator? (laughs) Rachel (laughs) (laughs) It's getting worse as you go But I'm enjoying it more It's okay Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why I wasn't casted I auditioned though I think it's just cast I'm not trying to be an asshole I'm bringing it back Are you sure you're not trying to be an asshole? I don't think it's the reason There was a reason I wasn't casted I think you're right. There's a reason why I wasn't cast. Yeah. Like, welcome. Yeah, like, I'm going to cast you through that f***ing window. <laughs> <laughs> it's a synonym. <sighs> all right. Uh, also, we should have said this, but all of these people are coming from anywhere from, like, 800 BCE to, like, 1600 AD. So, like, the names well, that- we cannot pronounce. So. Uh, I think the latest one I have is actually 1900s. What's the earliest one you have? Uh, around 800 BCE, I think. Oh, I think well, so. Yeah, very I good. So. I don't have any um, BCE. So Prince Ivan Vasilikvik uh, grew up at the hazardous court of Moscow, his life often in danger from the rivalry of the boyars and their nobles. Hmm. It gave him a lifelong hatred of the nobility and a deep streak of ruthless cruelty. Wait, was he not a noble? He was, yes. He oh. just hated the uh, boyars. Okay. Uh, aged 13, he had one boyar eaten alive by dogs. What's a boyar? I think it's just uh, like a person from boyar. The family that I was... Think. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Like they I were sh- in power at the time or something. Yeah, but no, I think boyar was a place and they are people of boyar. Like boyars. Like you are a Newfoundlander, you're from... New- Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't have I that answer. I feel like it's not that. I don't know. I've heard it in some context and never really understood it, but I feel like it's like they were the, like, you know how it's like right now it's, or like, it's like the Victorian era or the Elizabethan era. I think like the boyars were like, or like the Romanovs or the whatever. They were the ones in power at the time. Maybe. I'm not, I I really don't know. Cool. Um, Ivan was Prince of Muscovy from 1533 and in 1547 he was crowned Tsar. Okay. Which is emperor of all of Russia. Right. The first ruler to actually hold the title. He oh. crushed the boyars. He was the first Tsar? Yep. Oh. Stealing their lands to give to his own followers. He also condemned millions of Russians to a permanent state of serfdom. What's that mean? Uh, kind of like slave labor. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Ivan took a vast area of Russia as his personal domain, patrolled by a mounted police force with a carte blanche to arrest and execute as they liked. Disrupting the city of Novgorod, uh, he had it violently sacked and its inhabitants massacred, and he embarked on a disastrous and ultimately unsuccessful series of wars with Russia's neighbors. Ivan beat up his own pregnant daughter-in-law and killed his son in a fit of rage. What? Pregnant daughter-in-law? A bodyguard... A uh, set of soldiers of a thousand to roughly six thousand men, known as the Opreknina, was raised and occupied towns and districts all over Russia. 
The increasingly resentful boyars had indeed opposed Ivan and plotted against him. Um, but the reign of terror that Ivan initiated by the Oprichnina proved far more dangerous to the stability of the country than the danger that it was designed to suppress. Mm. In 1570, for example, Ivan personally led his factioned troops against Novgorod, destroying the city and executing several of thousands of its inhabitants. The Oprichnina lasted only seven years, from okay. 1565 to 1572, when it was abolished as a result of the failure of the Oprichnina uh, regiments to defend Moscow from an attack from the Crimean Tartars. Tartars. Tatars. Tatars. Uh, during the 1570s, he married five wives in succession within only nine years. Did he, like, stay married to all of them? Like, he had numerous wives? or No, like... they all died. Okay. Mm, Mysteriously. Yeah. Finally, in a fit of rage, he murdered his only viable heir, Ivan, in 1581. This murder set the clock ticking for the political crisis known as the Time of Troubles. Ivan was in many ways an able ruler, but his ruthlessness, paranoia, and taste for blood made him an unlikable leader. I'll say. Mm-hmm. And so he had no heir. Nope. He so what him. happened afterwards? He just like... That was it. They just moved on. To a different ruler. Yep. Like when he died or yep. somebody killed him or whatever. Someone killed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, as a minor disclaimer, I'm sure everyone probably have already assuming this. All of these people deserve their own topic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And like each time, like we're giving like synopsis of each person yes. just to give everybody an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they all are, uh, although some of them, like, a couple of mine, like, never would have gotten their own topic. But, like, the synopsis is worth it. Do oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so here is Justin II of Byzantine. <laughs> His name is Justin. <laughs> he was the first douchebag of... The Roman Empire. His name was Justin. <laughs> or sometimes referred to as Justin the Younger. He succeeded his... Succeeded? Succeeded? When you come after a person, like you rule after them, succeeded. You're the successor. Succeeded. Succeeded, right? Sure. Like, good job. You did it. Um, he succeeded his uncle, Justinian I. Of course. Or Justin the Great, who had regained much of the Roman Empire's lost territory and used diplomacy expertly to keep Persia at bay. Justin the Great had no children, so it was be- between his nephew, Justin Vigilantia's son, or Justin, son of Germanus. So, so there are many Justins. Two nephews named Justin. His brother's son or his sister's son. This he w- Justin. <laughs> <laughs> he went with his sister's son, Justin II, and his wife, Sophia, um, Justin II and his wife, Sophia, promised to make peace with his cousin, Justin, son of Germanus, when he was, like, pissed that he didn't get the ruler. But instead of making peace, they had him assassinated in Alexandria, and it was reported the imperial couple kicked the severed head down the street. Just like like a soccer ball. Yep. Uh, Justin was reported to suffer from fits of insanity. He ordered that a um, mobile throne be made which he was constantly pushed around on, like a little like race cart. <laughs> Apparently, he was less likely to attack and bite them when he was having a good time being pushed around on his racing throne. I mean, aren't we all? Aren't we all? He also required organ music to be played day and night. Push me! <laughs> Seriously. As a ruler, Justin II ditched his uncle's strategies and started a fight with the Persians, which he then lost. That's Justin II. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
Dude, just get him on the throne and start pushing so he doesn't bite you. Yeah. <laughs> like he would just have bits of like he would chompers. just be like a wild animal at times. Yeah. Go on, Justin. So this Justin, this. Justin was fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I keep saying these disclaimers, but they're not disclaimers. I think they're important things to talk about. But like a lot of these rulers and monarchs and people of power, a lot of the the heirs to the thrones and stuff, it was all, you know, inbreeding, family based, yeah. loving. Yep. So the fact that a lot of them came out with mental we'll disorders, mental disorders, yeah. mental illness, and things like that, not like, that shocking. It's not that shocking. No. Anyways, uh, my next one is uh, Gaius Caligula. I like that word. Caligula. I feel like I know that word. You are thinking of Canigula from the famous off-Broadway show, Be More Chill. But is it Caligula, a surname? No, yes, to um, Christine. Christine Canigula. Canigula. That is what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yep. I thought the same thing until yep. I juggled it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, it's Caligula in this. It's Canigula in the show. Thank you. So, stories surrounding the life of Emperor Caligula, Rome's third emperor, from 37 AD to 41 AD, have reached legendary proportions, making it hard to separate fact from fiction. Mm. That's often the case. Son of the great military... Why let the truth get in the way of a good story? <laughs> His name was John. <laughs> Uh, son of the great military hero Germanicus, the people had high hopes for their new young emperor. But after only a few months, he turned cruel and tyrannical, gradually changing into the most brutal leader the empire had ever seen. Mm. As legend has it, he's only the third one, so yeah, I the mean, most yeah. brutal one so far. <laughs> yeah, the other two yeah. are best kind. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually very reasonable people. <laughs> yeah. The first one didn't even want yeah. this. Four, five, and six tyrants, but he yeah. came first. So. He was the- <laughs> yeah, he likened himself to an immortal god who mm. could do anything to anyone, rampaging through Rome on an unstoppable streak of spending, adultery, and even murder. And even. <laughs> Murder. His behavior was so erratic that people wondered if he was suffering from some form of madness. Right. After a promising start to his reign, he seems to have set out specifically to intimidate and humiliate the Senate and high command of the army. And he gave grave offense, not least in Jerusalem, but declaring himself, uh, sorry, by declaring himself a god. Right. Even the Romans at the time would only really recognize someone after, like, would recognize deification by death. Right. You know? Uh, Caligula instituted a reign of terror through arbitrary arrest for treason, much as his predecessor Thibiderius um, (laughs) had done before him. It was also widely rumored that he was engaged in incest with his sisters and that he lived a life of sexual debauchery. Mm. Can you imagine that? Living a life life of sexual sexual debauchery. I feel like many of them both went on rampages, thought they were gods, and had sexual debauchery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The story of his making... Uh, oh, sorry. There, were, there is a story of his, uh, making his horse a consul. Meanwhile, uh, they made a consul like uh, like a knight, like some, oh, like, like an advisor. That a, a horse could not be right. right. <laughs> um, people think it may have been a little bit exaggerated, but he had high connections to his horse that some deemed to be unnatural. Okay. Caligula's unforgivable mistake was to jeopardize Rome's military reputation by declaring a sort of surreal war on the sea 
He ordered his soldiers to wade in and slash at the waves with their swords, and collecting chests full of seashells as the spoils of their victory over the god Neptune, king of the sea. Mm. And by his failed campaign against the Germans, for which he still awarded himself a triumph. So he won against the sea, but he failed against the Germans. <laughs> he failed so many wars, he's like, pause, we got to win some. Yeah, win some. <laughs> just hit the waves. Get the horsemen. <laughs> get in the sea. <laughs> and they all just ran out in the ocean and fought waves. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's bleak. <laughs> he was assassinated, thankfully. By the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> he drowned. He drowned, but they were like, he was assassinated by the sea. <laughs> <laughs> It was actually a four-inch puddle. <laughs> <laughs> that he failed to kill. <laughs> oh, that's great. He was assassinated um, in uh, 41 AD. Caligula's successor, Claudius, was an improvement. But despite the favorable picture in Robert Graves' famous book, uh, Claudius, not really by much. Caligula turned Roman Galat... Galat... <laughs> gladiatorial games well done thank you into a demonstration of cruelty and power mm. as well as having criminals and slaves sacrificed before an audience for entertainment he was said to have even fed a section of the crowd to the beasts because they were running low on criminals wow as Caligula's tyrannical reign flew wildly out of control a secret plot was hatched to have him killed he was attacked by a cabal of Praetorian guards following a sporting event before he was brutally stabbed over 30 times. Wow. Both his wife and one-year-old daughter were also murdered at the <sighs> Imperial Palace. No. Immediately following his death, the Roman Senate set about destroying Caligula's statues in the hope that he would be forgotten from history. But their attempt was unsuccessful. He remains today one of the most studied and written about emperors of all time. Interesting. Caligula. That's his theme song. It is. Yeah. Yes. Um, next, I've got Princess Alexandra Amelie of Bavaria. Ooh. Yes, indeed. One day in the late 1840s. In the late 1840s, <laughs> the news rang out clear. Princess Alexandra Amelie, the 23-year-old queer. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the only thing we can ride with here. I had nothing else. Yeah. Um, she was 23-year-old daughter of the recently abdicated King Ludwig I of Bavaria. She was making her way through the corridors of the family palace. Making my way downtown. Sorry. Her relatives noticed that the obsessive uh, Alexandra Emily was walking sideways through doorways and labyrinthine hallways, tiptoeing and carefully turning her body so that nothing would touch her. When asked by her family what she was doing, the princess explained that she had just discovered something remarkable. As a child, she had swallowed a full-sized grand piano made entirely of glass. It now resided inside her wholly intact, and would shatter if faced with any sudden movement. <laughs> Alexandra Amelie was noted to have psychological issues. <laughs> <laughs> Although a very prolific writer, like she wrote novels, she had a fixation with cleanliness and only wore white clothing, ever. Never wore a color. Touch of OCD, maybe. Maybe. But the glass piano thing is where the family were really like, hang on. Alexandra, we can get behind having to bleach your clothes every Tuesday. 
But what's going on with this full grand piano inside of your body? (laughs) Strangely enough, she's not the only person in history to experience this. The glass delusion was a psychiatric disorder not unheard of among the wealthy and educated classes and has been described as a disorder of melancholy. This psychological malady, first recorded in the Middle Ages, would become quite common before virtually dying out in the late 19th century. Okay. King Charles VI of France refused to allow people to touch him and wore reinforced clothing to protect, to protect himself from accidental shattering. Which I can still get behind a little bit more than uh, the, I, I ate an entire grand, grand piano yeah. made of glass as a child, and it's inside me and may break. Oh, that's so weird. Firstly, Alexandria, I would imagine you would have had to cut that piano up in pieces to get it down. So newsflash, it's already broken. Yeah. But anyway, that's, uh, that's what went on with uh, Princess Alexandria Emily. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a thing. It's the a- grand piano. <laughs> yeah. And also, I just realized, I forgot that as a child I ate that. I yes. just remembered it's inside of me. It's and I have to be very careful me, yes. from today onwards. Yes, and to, like, to scale. It's yeah. still oh, inside yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's a thing with, like, nobility and... And, and is that not something that can withstand a minor touch from a door? I don't, I don't know yeah. the answer to that. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, technically, also, yes. Also, if you bought your child a glass grand piano and one day it went missing... <laughs> Start asking questions then. Yeah. When did yeah. you eat that? <laughs> what did we just say? Well, the next piano we're going to get is going to be made of wood. That's all I'm going to say. It's not going to be glass this time. <laughs> she can't pass that. <laughs> All right. Onwards to Queen Ranavalona of Madagascar. 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 At a time when the <laughs> Europeans were spreading their colonial holdings around the world, Queen Ranavalona was about... Uh, I don't know why I do that. You do it consistently, and I enjoy it. Cool. Ranavaloni um, was able to keep Madagascar free of British and French control. But she did so by establishing a rule so ruthless that it has been established that the population of her kingdom was halved during her reign. I feel like all of yours have a uh, through line of all of them are ruthless killers. Not just It's just like, there's nothing less interesting than like, meet Henry Thirteenth. He ruled for 50 years. He was an honest to true man. <laughs> no, no, no. He had one wife who he, he, he treated with respect. <laughs> he made her a hammock. He yeah. used to swing her every night. <laughs> yeah. He made his daughter a glass piano. In short, she didn't eat it. <laughs> when the famine struck, though, they all took a piece for themselves. Yes. Yeah. He was the last one to eat. Yeah. No, that's boring. So Queen, Queen, Queen Renavalona maintained her power by retaining the loyalty of the Malagasy army and imposing regular periods of forced labor on the rest of the population in lieu of taxation. Oh. On one notorious occasion... Having just finished my taxes today, I wouldn't mind a bit of hard labor if I could pay less money. Just would saying. you? Yeah. Hmm. On one notorious occasion, she organized a buffalo hunt for herself, her nobles, and their families and followers. Okay. But... She insisted that an entire roadway be built in front of the party for them all to advance to the hunt in comfort. An estimated 10,000 people died carrying out this particular task, with not a single buffalo being killed. (laughs) Queen Ranavalona faced several plots. The buffalo were like, yeah, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Sucks to suck, bitches. (laughs) 
<laughs> Run of alone, nah. <laughs> Not tonight. Uh, Queen Renavalona faced several plots and at least one serious coup attempt. As she grew more paranoid, she forced more people to undergo the notorious Tangina test. Have you heard of that? I have not. Guess what it means. Tangina. It doesn't sound like a word that I know. No. Tangerine is the closest one I've got. Yeah, don't try then. Like just squirting citrus on your open cut. <laughs> Withstand that! Open, open up your eyelid, just put a little bit of lemon in your eye. That uh, would be horrible. So what it would be is you would eat three pieces of chicken skin before swallowing a poisonous nut that caused the victim to vomit. If it did not actually poison them, which it often did. Um, if all three pieces of chicken skin were not found in the vomit, yes. the victim was executed. Because mm, their digestive system was too quick? Like, what do you mean? Exactly. I, there's no rhyme there's no, or reason. Okay. No. She used this method to test the loyalty of her people, and she used this method to also try uh, the people of Madagascar. Like, you didn't throw up good enough. Yep. Time to die. Yep. So before her, there was trial by jury. Yep. Which is what most of the modern world goes by. <laughs> yeah. She's like, enough of that. Eats a bit of chicken now, and it gives you a poisonous nut. If you tosses your cookies and all three chickens come out, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. You know? So anyways, uh, she included many evil techniques to punish people and practiced it with gusto. During Renavalona's reign, her descendants and criminals... Uh, sorry, her descendants and criminals would be dumped slowly in boiling water and oil or tied down with ropes and burned alive. She would place others into coffins and some were buried into holes with dirt showered upon them. Having encouraged Christianity at the start of her reign, <laughs> uh, Queen Renavalona changed policy and instituted ruthless persecution of native Christians. Oh, They were beaten tortured, starved, pushed from cliffs, poisoned, beheaded with their relatives made to watch the brutal death scenes. Ranavalona's next mission was to wipe out the reforms carried out by her husband in a bid to modernize the nation. She expelled the European merchants, teachers, diplomats, and trade deals with Britain and France, and they were immediately canceled. After one successful battle against an invasion, she slit the heads of Europeans, stuck them on spikes, and lined them on the beaches as a measure of repelling against foreign invaders. She survived all plots against her, and on August 16, 1861, she died at the age of 79. Known in history as both Mad Queen of Madagascar and Ranavanola the Cruel, the the totalitarian rule adopted by her makes her emerge as the most ruthless queen in history i would think so <laughs> what a lunatic honestly so when you said something about like the reform of her husband like her husband was he was the one against who, her so i think when her husband died she took over as queen but her husband was trying to get all these trade deals with england oh, and, and france like, at the nah. time she was like nah I'm not into that no Okay, sure. Um, so then uh, we'll do one more and take a break. What do you think? I lost that. Okay, very good. Um, I like a balibus. <laughs> what? <laughs> I tried to say it quick to think I could get it. Elagabalus. It's like E-L-A-G-A-B-A-L-U-S. Elagabalus. Elagabus. 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 
I feel like if it was an E in the middle, it would be easier to say. Maybe. Because it would be a schwa. Arguable. A legibus. No. A, a, legabal, a legabalus. A legabalus. A legabalus. Don't hurt yourself. Come on. <laughs> Officially known as Anton, Antoninus. Not just Antonio or Antoninus. Oh. Anyway, he was Roman Empire from 1218 to 2022. Two, two, two. <laughs> <laughs> he came to power at the age of 14, right at that fun time for all kids we like to call puberty. Puberty. Dangerous time to be in control of an empire. He's not even in control of his own genitals, for God's sake. <laughs> so, <laughs> his short reign was filled with sex scandals and religious controversy, which again checks out. It's like it's right when you start forming your own opinions. You're like, no, I don't believe blindly in everything you told me, mom. Also, what sex can I? I have some. <laughs> and boy, did he. He regularly enjoyed sexual relations with countless strangers, both men and women, many of which he found by disguising himself as a female prostitute and going to brothels. He just catfished people. Yeah. He married and divorced at least five times within his four years of ruling. He, uh, three of them were women and one was a man. I know what you're thinking. That's only four times. You said five, Evan. That is true. He married the same woman twice. Respect. Seriously. It's essentially like your high school relationships when you like you break yep. up with a girl and like I dated I tried to date around, let's get back together. Except yep. he just married and divorced them every time. Yep. Every time. There are a few accounts that actually refer to Elegabilis with female pronouns. For instance, when he married uh Heracles, his husband, Elegabalus, I'm just gonna say it different every time, apparently <laughs> delighted in being called Heracles' wife or queen. Mm. He reportedly wore makeup and wigs, preferred to be called a lady and not a lord, and offered vast sums to any physician who could provide him with a vagina. That part was disputed in the Wikipedia article. Like, maybe there was just propaganda, but it was in there. So Interesting. In. Uh, many writers see this emperor as one of the earliest transgender figures on record. Oh. And certainly the earliest seeking sex reassignment surgery. Which, obviously, I can only imagine. Um, but also, like... If a doctor did say yes, which they didn't, I wouldn't imagine in the year 200 that would have went well. No. It's probably good for a Legabalus that they didn't say yes. Mm-hmm. In the end, the Praetorian Guard, as you were just talking about, were not happy with a Legabalus, mostly for his uh, eccentricities and his relationship to Heracles. In a ceremony where he was naming his cousin Alexander as his successor, the Guard began to cheer Alexander's name and assassinated a Legabalus on the spot. It's like, we're done with you, bye. You just named this other guy your successor? Well, just make him your successor now. Wow. Yep. Wasted no time. Nope, just killed him on the spot. And his mother. Oh. Just, I hate when they kill the family members. It's really sad. Like, I mean, I guess you could imprison them forever, but yeah. is that better? Who's to say? Is that all? Yeah, that's the end. <laughs> He's Bloody, dead, so there's, need, there's yeah. no more to the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sad. I know. Well... As always, friends, enjoy your break. <laughs> you probably need it. <laughs> Coastal Dance Company will begin registration for their 10th season in just a few weeks. They offer a wide variety of classes for ages 2 and up. With competitive and recreational options for all dancers, it's never too late to join the Coastal family. Coastal Dance Company on Instagram and Facebook. And welcome back, baby! (laughs) 
hated when you used to say bebe. I really missed it. Uh, do you? Yeah, well, I did just then. Uh, well, I thoroughly enjoyed that. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. I mean, it's not anything worth redoing or ever doing ever again or replaying, no. but I'm glad you acknowledged. Well, here's what I like. I liked it in a different context. Like, it was a fun callback. For, like, I didn't want you to say, like, episode 24, season 2, baby. But to use it in an alternate context, it's like, oh, I'm irritated and delighted. Ah. Yeah. That doesn't happen often. Nope. Well, with me, it happens all the time. All right. Onward and forward in our quest. And upwards. Sure. Or down. Uh, down. I mean, we can't go any further down because we're already on a dark can't. descent. Can we? King Leopold II of Belgium. Ah. <gasps> Did you do that one? No, I did not, but I know which one I'm doing next. King Leopold III? Oh, no, never mind. I had to screw it up. Go ahead. Okay. So Leopold's place in this episode results not from his rule in Belgium, okay, but from the crimes committed in the enormous kingdom he carved out for himself in the Congo. What do you mean? Let's find out. <laughs> he obtained the territory by international agreement and named it the Congo Free State. It was not a Belgian colony, but the king's personal land. Well, is it an island? Yeah, Congo. So instead of being like, I'm conquering this for Belgium, it's like, nope, I'm still going to keep that. But like, this is like my little spot, my right. cabin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The CFS or the Congo Free State. What year is this? Like what century, uh, I should ask? Oh, very recently. Like 1900s. What? Uh, yeah. So the CFS was presented to the world as a model of liberty and prosperity devoted to the elimination of slavery. What's the CFS? I literally said it three times. Congo, Congo free. free State. Okay. Thank you. Um, as, sorry. It's free of Congo. You can't do the Congo. Congo. <laughs> the Congo Free State. The Congo. Samba, tango, do what you want. Do not Congo here. Do not <laughs> it's conga free. <laughs> um, it was presented to the world as a model of liberty, prosperity, devoted to the elimination of slavery. Okay. Only gradually did the world learn that it was in fact a slave state in which the <laughs> Congolese were ruled by terror. Yikes! So the opposite. So it was it was inhabited by like indigenous people, the, con- like the Congolese. Yeah. yeah. As Leopold raked in the riches from Congo's enormous reserves of copper, ivory, and rubber, the Congo Congolese were forced to work by wholesale mutilation of their wives and children, usually by chopping off their hands or feet. Holy Lord Jesus! Mutilation was also wildly, or sorry, widely used as a punishment for workers who ran away or collected less than their quota. Estimates vary, but about half the Congolese population died from punishment and malnutrition. Many more suffered from disease and torture. The people of the Congo did not suffer these injustices without fighting back, though. Right. Several rebellions were mercilessly put down under Leopold's direction. As the realities and suffering within the Congo Free State became more widely known, many European people spoke out against these abuses. Uh, Demonstrations and protests demanded that Leopold end human rights abuses in the Congo Free State. In 1908, international pressure forced the king to turn the Congo Free State over to the country of Belgium. In what year, sorry? 1908. Um, so they were like, this is your personal land? No, this goes back, like, this is actually Belgium. Yeah. Um, 
The newly named Belgian Congo remained a colony until the Democratic Republic of Congo gained its independence in 1960. Right. An investigation by the British consular... Because we, we sort of covered that and we didn't start the fire. Belgians in the Congo is the end of one of the verses. Yep. Uh, an investigation of the British consular... Consular? Consular. I think it's just consular. Mm, yeah, it could be. The British consular. Um, official Roger Casement revealed that the Belgian force publique regarded the Congolese as little more than animals to be killed for sport. Whoa. The king fought a high-profile legal battle to prevent details of his regime in Congo from being made public, and it took an international campaign to force him to hand Congo over to the Belgian government. Leopold's name is forever associated with the Congolese regime, or sorry, reign of terror, and that alone justifies his inclusion in this list. It does indeed. That is all. Well, now I've got for you, this is the one I was thinking of. It has nothing to do with Leopold. Fyodor I, the bell ringer. He was the son of Ivan the Terrible. <gasps> I know. And I wait, knew- wait, didn't Ivan kill his son? He didn't kill this one. Killed a different one, I guess. Mm. Um, so in 1584, the 27-year-old Fyodor I was crowned Tsar of Russia. He was the son of Tsar Ivan IV, better known as Ivan the Terrible, and his first wife, Anastasia. In Russian documents, Fyodor is sometimes called the Blessed. Fyodor was said to have been a very weak leader. He left the governing to his brother-in-law, Boris Godunov, Godunov, who then became the real leader of Russia. It was said that Fyodor was too mentally deficient to govern. Gentle and quiet, Fyodor was believed to have been what we refer to today as... Um, Nice. Like, like well, um, a human. Neur- neurally diverse. Sure. Ivan IV knew this was the case, but when he would inherit the throne, um, or sorry, knew that when he did inherit the throne, um, he would need some help. So anticipating his own death, Ivan the Terrible created a five-member advisory council to help um, Fyodor rule. These five guys got up to some shenanigans. <laughs> like making burgers, like French making fries, burgers, French all fries, fries dips. Um, is it open? Five guys? It's open. Oh, we gotta go. Mm. Um, some of them killed the others off. In the end, Fyodor's brother-in-law, Boris Godunov, ruled instead as regent. Fyodor's wife has a baby, their first after almost 12 years of marriage. The child dies at the age of two. And Fyodor did not have any more children, making him the last descendant of his line to occupy the Russian throne. He had a half-brother, but he was the child of Ivan the Terrible's eighth wife. And according to the Orthodox Church, you could only get married three times. And mm. therefore, this half-brother didn't have any right to the throne. Wow. But just in case, Boris had him sent away and eventually killed. Either from A, he had been playing with a knife and had fallen on the blade while having a seizure. Or B, Boris had him killed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this made Theodore incredibly sad. Um, you know, his child and half-brother, who he really liked, both died. Um, he never suspected anyone of being involved in these horrible things. He just thought, all natural causes. Now, maybe the child was. It didn't say that the child was killed by, um, what does Nibs, Boris? Yeah. Um, Fyodor was known as Yurodivi, meaning someone who has a childish form of wisdom or foolishness in Christ. Russians looked upon such people with respect, if not reverence. So since Boris was taking yeah, care... because he didn't kill them. What? Because he didn't kill them. They were like, yeah, we respect you. 
Don't no. tie us to a block and put weights <laughs> on our feet. No, he's a nice guy. He didn't have anybody That's killed. That's what I'm saying. That's oh, why oh, they oh. respected him, because they're no. like, thank you for not killing us. But apparently us. in Russia in this time, anybody who was sort of simple, for lack of a better term, sure. was thought to be like, well, this is what they, they say, a childish form of wisdom. They were like sort of revered in a way. Yeah. Um. So um, since Boris was taking care of business, Fyodor would just roam around the countryside and the city, reciting monotonous prayer and visiting monasteries and churches so that he could ring their bells. Whether out of despair or pleasure, it was unclear, but Fyodor spent his life going from church to church just ringing bells to the point where her subjects forever referred to him as the bell ringer. <laughs> what is it that Quasimodo says? Um, when he rings the bell, doesn't he say something? I don't know. The bells said, of Notre Dame. No, no, no. He says some word like "justice for all." <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not that. While listening, so, to oh, the... sanctuary, sanctuary. Remember? Yeah, vaguely. Right. Um, that's touching. I read an article the other day about the Hunchback and how it's like the most gruesome of all stories. Oh, yeah. And um, when Alan Menken and the other guy, whoever, I can't remember the other guy who wrote it. Like that's, the that's the story of that guy's life. Yeah. Alan Menken and the other guy. Yeah. But when they brought, like, the song Hellfire yeah. to, they were like, no way is this going to pass. And they made them, and the, the what would you call them, the censors or whatever, like the Disney censors, sure. made them change one word. And I can't remember what the word is. Like, it's like, it didn't change anything. It's still about, like, it's the scene from, from, Sweeney Todd, yeah. where the judge is like, Joanna, Joanna, yeah. I'm inside you. Like, yeah. it's just gross and horrible. Yeah. Um, they just change one word and like, yeah, that's fine now. Like, no, it's not, but okay. Uh, it's gross. Anyway, go on. Uh, just as a side note, they did a fantastic production of... of um, Hunchback? Yeah. Um, I wish I knew where. I think it's... I want to say it's Montreal. Or it may not be. It may not be in Canada, but like it's definitely not like on Broadway, or the West End, mm-hmm. where they had someone who was deaf. Yes, I've seen the video. Oh my god! It you forget that the guy so singing moving. it is incredible because you just ignore him and listen and watch the deaf guy. Yeah, you have a gentleman who's off stage singing it while you have a gentleman. No, on he's stage. on stage. Oh, was he on stage with yeah. him? I thought he was. Off you could stage. see him. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it is so moving. It's it so moving. Beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. Anyways, I, yeah. I thought it was I can't remember where it was. I don't think it was in Canada, but it was North America, I think. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't like Broadway, but like the quality yes. was, was Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. It was very well received. Anyways. Yeah. On to my next less exciting and <laughs> less wholesome topic. Yeah. Um, Nebuchadnezzar II. Like the ship... In the Matrix? Yeah! I had to confirm it as well, but yes, the Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Yep. Nebuchadnezzar. So, uh, he was born in uh, 630 and died at 561, all BCE. He oh, was, right, okay, that's why, yeah. yeah. I was like, why did he it He was known for his military might, the splendor of his capital, Babylon, and his important part in Jewish history. Okay. Okay. After a Babylonian reverse at the hands of Egypt in 606-605, he served as commander-in-chief in his father's place, and by brilliant generalship, shattered the Egyptian army at Karkamish and Hamath. Commander-in-chief of what? The army. Of what country? Uh, Babylon. Okay. Thereby securing control of all Syria. After his father's death on August 6th, 
605, Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon and ascended the throne within three weeks. Okay. This rapid consolidation of his ascension and the fact that he could return to Syria shortly afterward reflected his strong grip on the empire. Mm -hmm. Nebuchadnezzar was known specifically for his military triumphs, leading many into battle and taking over many parts of Egypt, Syria, Palestine, Judah, Jerusalem, and many more. He also played a large role as a diplomat as well, sending ambassadors to mediate between Medes and Lydians in Asia Minor. Nebuchadnezzar's main activity, other than his military commander, uh, was the rebuilding of Babylon. He completed and extended fortifications begun by his father. He built a great moat, which is notable. By the rivers of Babylon. Mm. And a new outer defense wall paved the ceremonial processional way with limestone, rebuilt and embellished the principal temples, and cut canals. This he did not only for his own glorification, but also in honor of the gods. He claimed to be the one who set in the mouth of the people reverence for the great gods. Mm. Just the chosen one. In, <laughs> it could have been easier. In 589 BC, sure, refused to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. In response to Zedekiah's, Zedekiah's well then. Uh, uprising. Just rolled off the tongue that time. It did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar conquered and destroyed the kingdom of Judah oh. in 586. One of the great achievements of his reign. The campaign resulted in the plunder and destruction of the city of Jerusalem, a permanent end to Judah, and it led to the Babylonian captivity, as the Jews were captured and deported to Babylonia. Archaeological excavations confirmed that Jerusalem and the surrounding area was destroyed and depopulated. Nebuchadnezzar's story thus found its way into the Old Testament of the Bible. The Bible narrates how Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the kingdom of Judah, besieged, plundered, and destroyed Jerusalem, and how he took away the Jews in captivity, portraying him as a cruel enemy of the Jewish people. The Bible also portrays Nebuchadnezzar as the legitimate ruler of all the nations of the world, appointed to rule the world by God. As such, Judah, through divine ruling, should have obeyed Nebuchadnezzar and not rebelled. Nebuchadnezzar is also depicted as carrying out death sentences pronounced by God, slaying two false prophets. Nebuchadnezzar's campaigns of conquest against other nations are portrayed as being in line with God's will for Nebuchadnezzar's dominance. In the book of Daniel, recognized by scholars as a work of historical fiction, Mm. Nebuchadnezzar is given a portrayal that differs considerably from his portrayal in the book of Jeremiah. He is for the most part depicted as a merciless ruler. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a nightmare and asks his wise men, including Daniel and his three companions, to interpret the dream. Joseph wasn't available. I see. But he, also, Daniel was traveling tonight on a plane, so he probably wasn't there either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah was a bullfrog at the time, so... <laughs> he didn't have much to work with. It was a complicated time. Everyone was busy. They took what they could. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar refused to state the dream's contents. So he said, predict my dream, or talk about my dream, but I'm not going to tell you what it's about. Right. Read my mind, essentially. Yeah. When the servants protested, Nebuchadnezzar sentenced all of them to death. Sure. 
By the end of the story, when Daniel successfully somehow interpreted the dream, Nebuchadnezzar is nevertheless shown to be very grateful. Is this the same Daniel who goes into the lion's den? I'm uncertain. Okay. Uh, he shows Daniel with gifts, making him the governor of the province of Babylon and making him the chief of the kingdom's wise men. Hmm. A second story again casts Nebuchadnezzar as a tyrannical and pagan king who after Daniel and his companions, after, sorry, after they refuse to worship him mm. um, and refuse to worship a newly erected golden statue of him, they become sentenced to death by being thrown into a furnace. Okay. After Daniel interprets another, interprets, sorry, another dream as meaning that Nebuchadnezzar will lose his mind and live like an animal for seven years before being restored to his normal state, Nebuchadnezzar saves Daniel and his companions from their fiery fate and acknowledges Daniel's God as the Lord of kings and God of gods. <laughs> if I save you, maybe I won't be an animal in the wild for seven years. Yeah. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar died at Babylon in 562 BC. No surviving contemporary Babylonian documents provide the name of Nebuchadnezzar's wife, um, but according to uh, Barosus, her name was Amethyst. Oh. Daughter of Astagus, king of the Medes. <laughs> that sounded like a bunch of words you made up. Her name was Amidas. King of Queen Astagus. of the Stagus, daughter of the Blegus, <laughs> inside of the Babas. Inside of the Gubli <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is recognized as the greatest and most prestigious king of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Because of the scarcity of sources, assessment by historians of Nebuchadnezzar and his reign have differed considerably mm. over time. Interesting. The Nebuchadnezzar. And he was the second. So there was one before him. Yeah, I'm sure there was. Yeah. yeah. Presumably. Okay, here's a little short one for you. Um, Farouk of Egypt. You may have heard of him because he ruled in like the 1930s. Farouk was the 10th ruler of Egypt from the Muhammad Ali dynasty, not the fighter, just another guy, and the penultimate king of Egypt and the Sudan. He reigned from 1936 until 1952, which made him ruler during the Second World War. While not being a particularly adept leader, which in other things I've read, it was like a lot of the things they say about him is propaganda that they wanted to like, whatever. Sure. Maybe they did. Who's to say? We're in North America, so we believe it. Um, <laughs> Farouk was a master at one thing, eating <laughs> my guy <laughs> nicknamed a stomach with a head <laughs> he swelled to 300 pounds which doesn't seem that big what year was this 1930 yeah i'd like to see someone 300 pounds in 1930 yeah. uh he swelled to 300 pounds maintaining a diet of caviar lobster pounds and pounds of chocolate and 600 oysters a week flown in from copenhagen and seven packs of those welch's fruit snacks <laughs> coincidentally he died from eating Face down in a plate. You stop. Shit you not. He was also apparently quite famous as a kleptomaniac. Oh, great. He once stole a sword from the Shah of Iran and a pocket watch from Winston Churchill. <laughs> Got him. Got him. He would just steal shit. Apparently he would walk through the streets of, where did I say he was from? Egypt? Yep. Walk through, and just steal from peasants. Like he would just take their shit. That's, that's not cool. No, he was a klepto. He got off on it. Loved it. Stole a pocket watch from Winston then Churchill. Then went home and ate a chicken wing looking at it. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Uh, yeah, that's Farouk. 
well done. And the picture of the thing is just like sitting there with FDR, and the comment from that <laughs> article was like, "I wonder if FDR left with everything he had in his pockets." That's <laughs> <laughs> like I, I do wonder, including that packet of Ritz bits. <laughs> so he stole he stole packets of Ritz bits and Welch's fruit snacks, juice boxes, and Oreos. <laughs> I'm hungry, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I'm hungry too. Mm. Let's snack later. I think every episode we go. Let's. I'm snacky. You snacky. Every night. You just happen to be here tonight. That's true. Yeah. Um. All right. This next one, I'm going to apologize for butchering the language and the names. Okay. Okay. Uh, King Shi Huang. Shi Huang. Shi Huang. Okay. Um, Qin. Q, Q, yeah, anyways. Between the 5th and the 3rd century BC, a time known as the Warning States period, at least seven kingdoms battled for supremacy in East Central China. The state of Qin, based in the Sichuan Plains, eventually won out in 221 BC under the leadership of the ruthless Xing Zheng. Okay. The victorious monarch gave himself the title Qin Shi Huangde. He was the first emperor of the Qin dynasty. Okay. Yeah. Um, Q-I-N. Q-I-N. Yeah. Yeah. With ferocious force of character, Xin uh, began to mold his diverse territories into a single Chinese empire, obedient to his will. Right. He divided the lands into 36 command areas, each supervised by a governor, a military commander, and an imperial inspector, all of whom reported directly to him. He relocated hundreds of thousands of influential families from their home provinces to the capital, where he could keep an eye on them. Mm. Weapons were confiscated and melted down. A new imperial currency was issued. Weights and measures were, sta- were standardized. Even wagon axles were built according to a certain measure, so they could fit within the ruts in China's roads. Wow. In the- a way, he's like... Kind of got shit done. He's just consolidating all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The emperor ordered Chinese writing made to be uniform, such that all words with the same meaning in the country's varied languages would be represented by the same characters. Shi, uh, Shi Huangji brutally suppressed dissent. Uh, some accounts say that 460 scholars were rounded up and executed, and the texts they had used to, to criticize the government were confiscated and burned. Right. Uh, citizens of all ranks were encouraged to inform on one another. The, those convicted of crimes were executed, mutilated, or put on hard labor. Um, uh, doubtless, the mo- this, is, this is a word. Uh, so doubtless, the most megalomaniacal mm-hmm. megalomaniacal of his projects was the enormous tomb and buried terracotta hoard constructed at tremendous cost by 700,000 forced labor conscripts. Holy shit. The thousands of life-size figures included infantrymen, archers, chariots with horses, officials, servants, and even entertainers such as musicians and strongmen. Made of terracotta. Yep. So have you ever seen yes. The Mummy? Yeah. The new mummy, the the dry the Well not uh, even that. I've seen King. like some pictures of like real terracotta armies and stuff. Yeah. That's where this is. Yeah, exactly. Uh so the, the tomb and statues were still in progress at the time of the Emperor's untimely death. And two hundred. What is the purpose BC. of that? Is it sort of like a scarecrow? Like when armies come and be like, hang on! Look at all those guys, we better not go over there. Or is I it think j- it's uh, maybe 
But I think it's also a piece of like I think there's 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 that, but like the scarecrow thing. I think it's also a piece of like, um, like this is a representation of what I actually have, kind of. Well, yes, for of future like, generations. Exactly. To see. So like people can understand. Like if I say there's a hundred thousand people, you're like yeah, hundred thousand. Right. If you look at a hundred thousand people, you're like holy shit, there's a lot of people. Yeah. There's that, but I also think there's some like hanky panky of like. Don't waken the dead. They'll come alive. And do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. I think there's a little bit of that in it as well. Um, so he died in 210 BC. Um, today, the vast terracotta host serves as a perfect symbol of the scale and ferocity of Shigwandit's reign and his efforts to forge a single Chinese empire. His public works projects included the unification of diverse state walls into creating a single Great Wall of China. And Wait. He pretty well unified and created the Great Wall of China. Oh. Yeah. And a massive new national road system. In 211 BC, a large meteor is said to have fallen in Dungeon and the lower reaches of the Yellow River. On it, an unknown person inscribed the words, The first emperor will die, and his land will be divided. When the emperor heard of this, he sent an imperial secretary... Um, to investigate this prophecy. No one would confess to the deed. So all the people living nearby were put to death. The stone was then pulverized. During his fifth tour of eastern China, the emperor became seriously ill and died on the 10th of September, 210, at the palace in Shekui, maybe, prefecture, about two months away by road from the capital. Mm-hmm. The cause of King... Kin Shi Huang's death is still unknown. Yikes. Meteor radiation. You know, like he just got too close to the meteor and it was like weird space. I don't dust think he ever like, got there. You don't know. I mean, maybe, I guess maybe I don't, he wrote I it, maybe, maybe he wrote it there himself. He's like, I want to just want to kill some people. Population's too high. <laughs> he just wrote it on the wall himself. Who wrote that there? Who drew this penis in the bathroom wall? <laughs> <laughs> it was me. It was me. Um, so <laughs> this one's a doozy. A doozy. It's the longest one I got. She's lengthy, but it, I, I shortened it down as much as I could. There's just a lot going on. Yes. Eric, I've also decided that... Actually, no, keep going. Okay. Eric, with a K, the 14th of Sweden. Born, and when we think of Sweden, we think, what a great place to be. They got some great banks. No, that's Switzerland. Banks? Yeah, it's Switzerland, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Sweden still, very high quality of living, isn't it? Sure. Sweden, I'm pretty sure. Born December 13th, 1533, as the heir of King Gustav I and Queen Catherine of Sweden. Gustav. Uh, yes. Uh, Eric got precious little time with his mother. She passed before he was even two years old, which maybe explains why he was such a lunatic. Eric was an eerily bright child who excelled at both languages and mathematics particularly under one of his favorite tutors, the radical thinker Dionysius Boreas. He makes a little return later on, which is why I point him out. Oh, great. It was clear from a young age that Eric had an allegiance to one person, himself. Mm. He threw his own sister Cecilia under the bus, not literally, there were no buses at the time, when he stumbled upon the unmarried Cecilia in bed with a man. He told everybody, nearly ruining her life. You can imagine, like, a princess at the time. How like, old? Or, sorry, what year? Uh, I don't know what year it was. He was a teenager at the time, so it was like 15. Okay, yes, something. yes, yes. 
Um, always very interested in women. At 25, the crown prince picked up the beautiful Agda Per's per daughter as his official mistress. He even nicknamed her Caritas, which is Latin for love. Mm. But when it came to finding a bride, Eric was cursed. He made a slew of marriage proposals to the greatest women rulers of his day, including Renata of Lorraine and Mary, Queen of Scots. And they all said, thanks, but no thanks, Eric. <laughs> like every other ruler of the day, Eric had a mega crush on Queen Elizabeth I. Eric pursued Elizabeth for literally years. In 1560, Eric was so sure he was irresistible that he drew up ambitious plans to sail to England and convince Elizabeth he was some hot stuff. He ditches Agda, feeling certain he'll be wed to the queen as soon as she meets him, even though they had two children together, he and Agda, who were barely toddlers, but off he goes to lock down Queen Lizzie. Right before Eric set sail to woo Liz, his father, King Gustav, passes away, mm. and Prince Eric is now King Eric XIV of Sweden. So no date with Lizzie. He doesn't get to go. Eric's first act as king was to gather all of the Swedish nobles. There's a through line between all of ours of just paranoia. Yeah, which I think is just a thing. But like rightfully so, almost every single person we've talked about has been assassinated yeah. by other people who want claim. Yeah. But if you're like aren't paranoid or a nice person, then maybe they won't kill you. Yeah, but those stories are boring. Just try it out. Eric's first act as king was to gather all the Swedish nobles, including his half-brothers John and Charles, and promptly demote them. He didn't want anyone else but him to gather too much power in the age of Eric. He also goes back to Agda, and while she's thinking, oh, he's taking me back, he hits her with a second blow, telling her she's an unfit mother and sends her kids off to live with his sister. <sighs> I don't want you back, and also I'm taking the children. 1563 is when Eric really starts to go off the deep end, and his long relationship with paranoia begins when he begins to think that all of his nobles are plotting against him. When his brother John married an influential noblewoman without seeking his permission, Eric grew paranoid about his brother's power and quickly had him arrested for high treason. But, like, why does he have to get his permission? Because he doesn't. Eric just says that he does. He oh. doesn't actually need his permission, but he's Good. like, it's an, it's an influential noblewoman of somewhere else. He's like, okay, now he's got more status that he's building up and could overthrow me, maybe. Sure. So he just, instead of that, he's like, you didn't ask my permission? High treason. But Eric had a bigger nemesis than his brothers, a man named Nils Stur, the heir of a powerful Swedish family. Why was he Eric's nemesis? Because Eric was crazy. No other reason. Nils didn't do anything. <laughs> he just, like, had it out for Nils. <laughs> Eric sentenced Nils to execution on charges of neglect of duty, but first tortures him in a dungeon for several hours, and then right before the execution, changes his mind and makes Nils drive through the streets of Stockholm in a broken-down carriage while wearing a straw hat, which is apparently the street Swedish version of shame. <laughs> Factual. And this was right after the torture, so Nils still just has open wounds. He's, like, trying to, like, blot his cuts with his straw hat. They're like, ha-ha, straw hat, Stuart Nils. <laughs> um, in 1565, King Eric XIV got a new love in his life, Karen Mann's daughter. D-O-T-T-E-R. Not like the daughter of a man, but kind of. Phonetically. I will actually just let you know part of that era that's actually what that meant. No, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Just to let you know. Um, one of the serving girls in the kingdom. She became his sole mistress. And people noticed that this was different than any of his previous mistresses. He was totally overcome with passion to the point where people said that either Karen was a witch or she got a witch to make a love potion. 
King Eric XIV was extravagantly generous to Karen. He gave Karen an entirely new wardrobe, servants, and her own room at court. He even taught her how to read and write. It was a very My Fair Lady kind of situation. But Karen had a secret. She was already betrothed to a man named Maximilian. Yes! <laughs> so Karen's living her best life in the palace. Yeah. Maximilian sneaks in, tries to convince her to leave with him and return to him. Eric finds out, immediately has him killed. Without question. It's now 1566. Eric is still obsessed with finding a royal bride because Karen's just a mistress. She's still looking for the general manager. Yeah. So, <laughs> well done. So who does he get to help him out? His old nemesis, Nils. Eric sends Nils off on an official bridal envoy <laughs> to Renata of Lorraine. But Eric didn't want to marry Renata. He wanted to marry his mistress, Karen. This was all a plot. A con man's ruse, if you will. <laughs> Eric was worried his courtiers would stop him wedding Karen because she wasn't a noble. So he sends Nils off to Renata as a way of throwing them off the scent. May of 1567, Nils is returning from his fake mission just in time to experience Eric having a total mental breakdown. Excellent. Eric detains Nils at Uppsala Castle, along with Nils' father, Svante, and a handful of other nobles. And now he's off the deep end. He starts wandering around the dungeons, begging them for forgiveness for imprisoning them, but never makes a point of suggesting that he would free them. He comes back a few hours later and, without warning, unsheaths his dagger and stabs Nils in the chest. Eric lets one of his men finish the job on Nils while he enters the cell of Nils' father. He makes Svante get on his knees while Eric gives this insane, um, illogical apology of how he had to kill Nils and now he has to kill him because he'll never forgive him for killing his son. Which is kind of true, but also, you're insane. He then orders his men to massacre all of the remaining prisoners. So now Eric is leaving the castle, runs into his old beloved tutor, Dionysius Boreas, who noticed Eric is unhinged and tries to calm him down. Eric kills him. And the weirdest part was, for the longest time after this day, referred to as the Stir Murders, the guards all just pretend the prisoners are still alive. F family of the prisoners are bringing, I guess at the time, they, like family would bring food to the dungeons, be like, please give this to my yeah. loved one. And they, they just kept taking the food. And was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we'll give it to him. Don't worry about it. They were all dead. What? Yep. So what does Eric do then? He wanders into the forest and disappears. <laughs> For three days, no one knew where the king of Sweden was. What? On May 27th, 1567, they found him. He was still in the middle of a breakdown, but now he was dressed as a peasant in a tiny village of Odensala. So they take him back to the castle. The castle's pretty empty now because most people from his court had just left. Um, those who did stick around thought the only way to talk sense to Eric was through his mother. Well, not his real mother. His mother had died. His stepmother, who he apparently had a great relationship with. The second Eric sees her, he breaks down and starts begging for mercy for all of his sins. She says he needs to pay reparations to all of the slain nobles' families and promise never to go near them again. <laughs> Which he does. And now enters Karen to make another entrance. In his insanity, he became more obsessed with Karen, and he just went ahead and married her publicly. He's like, I don't care. She's not a noble. I'm marrying her. At the wedding, he planned to have his half-brothers killed. But At Ka the wedding? Yep. Good. But Karen finds out and tells his stepmom. So she tells the brothers, and they just don't come to the wedding. I was like, okay, well, we just won't go. 
RSVP, we're not coming, bud. <laughs> we don't want chicken. Don't kill us. Yeah, we can't swallow the three chicken skins and throw them up later. <laughs> Apparently, during 1568, Eric had a short period of being lucid and relatively normal, which ended abruptly when his personal secretary made a passing comment about a friend of his, so Eric pierced the man with a fire iron and killed him. This guy is out to lunch. <laughs> out to lunch. Eric then spends loads of money trying to legitimize Karen as queen, which is impossible because she's a peasant and no one's going for that at the time. The queens didn't want you, bud. This blew up in your face. Mm-mm. He couldn't get a queen, so he marries Karen. Mm-mm. Karen's no good. Mm-mm. Resentment grew amongst the courts. No one wants Karen as queen. She wasn't even legally allowed to be queen. So while all this was going on, Eric's brothers, who didn't go to the wedding, were waiting for their moment. And this was it. The nobles rebel and put John in power and threw Eric and Karen in the dungeon. Good. They spent years in captivity. They had two children while imprisoned. And due to the horrific conditions, both children died. And not to make light of something that tragic, but like, don't have kids while you're imprisoned. You know? Like, I know there's no birth control, but like... (sighs) Like, many people these days wait for, like, that nest egg to build up. Like, do we have enough? Do we think we can support the family? They're just like, well, there's nothing better to do. There's a hard floor. (laughs) Seriously. To prevent Eric and Karen from having any more children, they separated them in different dungeons. Which should have happened before the first one. Yeah. Uh, Eric lived out the rest of his days in solitude, which weren't many days. On February 26th of 1577, Eric is found cold and dead in his cell, where he had been living for seven years. But it wasn't until 1958, so 400 years later, forensic specialists exhumed the king's body. They find out what really killed him. His final meal, a bowl of pea soup, was laced with arsenic, which ravished his body until his last breath. What? Uh-huh. How could they have possibly found traces of arsenic? I do not know the answer to that. But they had signs of like the, his insides were destroyed. I don't know. Wow. Yep. That guy's wacky backy. Wacky backs. Dude. Eric of Sweden. Eric, buddy. Yeah. Swing and a miss, my dude. Seriously. Yeah, Swing I, and I, miss. I had to do that whole one. I was like, this is just, Absolutely. just too much going on. That dude is out to lunch. Um, you have one more? I have one more. Okay. So uh, let's, let's bring it back because a lot of these people have been so irrational and they have done such crazy things as eric did um so let's go to someone who seemed to have a a better head on their shoulders queen elizabeth ii yes um no no no. his name is uh vlad the impaler oh good okay great so he was a fun guy yeah so hearing the name vlad the impaler would immediately make one believe that he was the evilest ruler of all time right uh there is no doubt about his cruelty and maliciousness uh it was vast and widely known um but he was also one of the most respected leaders of um wallachia because no one wanted to get impaled yeah uh he had such an interesting and intricate life we should do a a full topic on him okay yeah uh so the ottoman sultan murad ii ordered vlad the first which is vlad the seconds the impaler his father okay to come to gallipoli to demonstrate his loyalty Okay. Vlad and Radu, his brother, accompanied their father to the Ottoman Empire, where they were all imprisoned. Okay. Vlad Dracul I was released before the end of the year, but Vlad, the Impaler, and Radu remained hostages to secure his loyalty. Okay. Uh, they were there for quite a long time, but eventually they were released and returned to their father. 
Right. He first took over the throne when his father and brother died around 14 and 48. He then was forced into exile. Okay. Then he returned a few years later to once again take the throne for the second time. They then went into conflict with the Saxons. Peace was restored in 1460. Then came the Ottoman War, where Vlad fought against his brother Radu. Oh, no. Yeah. Vlad was then captured and imprisoned in Hungary. He was held there for 14 years. In 1475, he was once again released. I feel like he's already lived a lifetime. He How then, old is this man? Exactly. He then took back over Wallachia for the third time <laughs> before his death. He died in battle to protect his land in 1476 or 1477. It was either December or January. It was full of battle. Right. Uh, stories about Vlad's brutal acts began circulating during his lifetime. Okay. According to one of Bohemian's stories, no, Beheim's stories. Why did I say Bohemian? <laughs> no. Beheim's stories. Vlad had two monks impaled to assist them to go to heaven. After ordering the impalement of their donkey, because it began crying after its master's death. The rumor that while in prison, Vlad caught rats to cut them up into pieces or stuck them on small pieces of wood because he was unable to forget his wickedness. They described like he impaled the rats with small pieces of wood. Yep. They described <laughs> Vlad as just a couldn't stop impaling. No. He was just addicted. Must impale. Uh. Vlad impale. <laughs> they described Vlad as a demented psychopath, a sadist, a gruesome murderer, a masochist, worse than Caligula and Nero. How do these people get to rule? Yeah. However. The stories emphasizing Vlad's cruelty are to be treated with caution okay. because his brutal acts were very, were very much probably exaggerated or even intended right. by, or sorry, even invented by the Saxons. Right. So I read some of the things that they say he did. Okay. I'm not going to say them on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Real bad. Real bad. Really bad. Like we talked about stuff that like Genghis Khan did right. to people and I said it on the podcast. Right. I'm not going to say these things on the podcast. Okay, tell me later, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, like said, maybe some, they're so exaggerated. Like, they're just really exaggerating. He never did them. A, there's, there's, like, like, even if, like, yes, he did them, he is a monster. Right. But even if he didn't do them and they were exaggerated. Someone had to think of them. Somebody had to think of them. Oh, no. It really upset me. And I was starting to write them down. I said, no, nah, I'm not doing this. Oh, you have to tell me after. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just not great. If you want to look it up, look it up, people. Yep. Um, so the stories about Vlad made him the best known medieval ruler of the Romanian lands in Europe. Mm -hmm. However, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which was published in 1897, yes. was the first book to make a connection between Dracula and vampirism. Their surname was Dracula. Yes. I remember you said that with Better's father. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he has been known officially as the inspiration for Dracula in Transylvania and everything like that. As oh. the impaler, as like the wood stakes through the heart. Right. Yeah. So he is known as... The only way to kill the impaler is to impale. Mmm. Mm. That's all I have for Vlad That's the enough. impaler. Bye. Ooh. Can't wait to hear the horrible things. Yeah, they're they're not great. And no, I hate that I want to hear them, but I do. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, yeah. I I think I only read like two of them, and I was like, "This is enough." Yeah. 
I mean, we can Google it when we're done. Yeah. Um, but it kind of like it goes like you know. Use your words. History, like guess, has its eyes on you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess like our modern civilization, we're so used to people being, I guess, civilized to a degree. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's like, some stuff that happens behind closed doors that's horrible. But like, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but it's I mean, behind closed doors. Human history has been riddled with monstrosities from the beginning oh yeah right we're not a great animal we are we really aren't i mean well you know so many other animals just literally just like tear each other limb from limb but like there are very few cannibalistic ones and if they're cannibalistic yes there are are, but now there are animals that aren't categorized as cannibalistic but like do really cruel things like there's i mean without getting into too much detail there the majority of animals yeah if a female has already mated with a male and has born children yeah a more dominant male will kill those children yeah in order to free the female from the responsibility so right. they can mate with them right you see that a lot in like horses right and like zebras horses yeah and like, like wild horses wild horses wild zebras antelope moose hippos giraffes like all these animals that you're like so peaceful and right no not so much no Yikes. the animal kingdom is scary it is and, and we are part of it. And human history is scary. And I think Ooh. all of it is just wacky backy. Yeah. Um, I have a fun game. Go on. I have a fun game. So I thought about this of like cool rulers and stuff. And, you know, a lot of them have been mirrored over history. And a lot of them have been fictionalized. And a lot of them have been, you know, a lot of cool things. Um, so I have a couple of scenarios. Okay. And I'm going to read them out. Okay. And you are going to tell me yes. whether or not you think they're actual real people who existed, mm-hmm. or if it's a fictional character. Not from something you made up. No, I didn't make a, any of these from up. From a thing. From a thing. Okay. I didn't make any of these up. They're all from a thing. Okay. Shall we? This is going to be hard. Maybe. Okay. Thin, pale, and covered in large amounts of fine hair... This ruler was not blessed with natural good looks. The other guy, what was his name? James the Handsome or whatever? Uh, Philip the Handsome. Philip the Handsome. He was not blessed with natural good looks. He especially didn't want any reminders that he resembled that of a goat. He then banned anyone from talking about goats near him. So I need to say whether that's a real person or a fictional person. Correct. So it's like a true or false, but it's... True it's or fact f- or fiction. Tr- fiction or fiction time? Fact or fiction time. Yeah. I'm going to say fact. That is correct, Mr. Smith. I forgot to mention. Um, there are double points. The double points if you can name the person who it is about. Oh, I'm sure I won't be able to, but... Yes. No, I have no idea. Caligula. Oh, oh, it, some of these are people you talked about. Yes, uh, yes. All, if, if it is true, it's about someone we've talked about. Okay, yeah. that probably wouldn't have helped me in that case anyway. Probably not. No. Caligula. Um, number two. Okay. Not surprisingly, this autocratic ruler was the target of several assassination attempts. Perhaps in response, they became obsessed with the idea of immortality. His interest in alchemy and his search for masters in these arts, who would provide him with the elixir of life and immortality, was a large motive in his early years. I mean, you described Voldemort, but it made me go like, is he trying to lead me astray? 
<laughs> I think it's Voldemort, though. Final answer? Yeah. False! Got him! Who is it? Qin Xing Guang. The, the Asian one, the, the Asian gentleman who unified uh, right. China. Yeah. Wow. So his, uh, his advisors counseled him that the herbs of immortality would not work with him until he could move about unobserved. So accordingly, he built walkways and passages throughout all of his major cities, connecting his palaces so that he could move about and seem invisible. The emperor repeatedly summoned magicians to his court. Qin Shi Huang feared death and desperately sought the fabled elixir of life, which would supposedly allow him to live forever. Wow. He was obsessed with acquiring immortality and fell prey to many who offered him supposed elixirs. He always had a bad stomach. He was like, I don't think that's going to work. Wow. You were, were aware you were describing Voldemort. That was the thing. Yeah, okay. I, I that was my gut was like he's leading me astray. I was like, but he just described Voldemort though. Got him. Okay, go on. Um, all right. Uh, how many are there? Uh, we just did two. There's uh two more. Oh shit. Okay, so I'm fifty fifty so far. After years of exile, this ruler was entrusted to the throne of his people. Without formally actually living there, he feared the overall acceptance and responsibility that it entailed. In his years of exile, he served as a warrior for many kings. He fought for the lords during that time under the name Thorongil, which translated to Eagle of the Star. With a small squadron of ships, he led an assault on Umbar, uh, burning many of the Corsair ships and personally killing their king during the Battle of the Havens. After the victory at Umbar, Thorangil left the, uh, left the field to the dismay of his men and went east. The Book of Deuteronomy noted, The son shall follow the sins of the father. He was often noted to fear following the tracks of his bloodline. His heir held the throne and was subject to temptation, cruelty, malice, and a lust for power. He later took the throne and united a broken people. I need my glasses. I think it's fiction. And what is it? I think you described Aragorn. Well done! <laughs> All right! Heck yeah! Double points, dude! Because his, his father was the Mad King, right? No. Uh, his he was heir to the throne of Gondor. His right. his his heir was um, well. So his father, it um, was Arathorn the second. Right, and uh, Isildur was his heir. Isildur was the one who killed. Sauron. Right, right, right. It's like his great 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 grandfather. Right. So, but wasn't his father like? What didn't you say something about his father being a piece of shit? No, I said his heir. I specifically didn't say his father. His heir. heir. He had a kid, you mean? Hmm? Whose heir? Aragorn's heir were were kings of the throne. Like his children, you mean? No, no, no. An heir heir is... No, the heir, like, he was part of the heir. That's not what heir means. An heir is like a person who is in line of the throne, right? Yeah, like a bloodline. Yeah. But, but it wasn't, I'm not saying that it doesn't go was, upwards, though. No, but he was the heir of the throne. Yes. Yes. Okay, there was a sentence you said that something made me think his father was crazy or something. I mean, his well, father there was... there somewhere there was a mad king in, in that, though? No, the, the mad king, so you're thinking of the stewardess of Gondor. 
Who is Boromir's father? Boromir no, Faramir's no, no, no. I'm not, you don't see it in the movies, but isn't there like? There's also the Mad King in Game of Thrones. Mm-mm. I'm thinking. Oh no, wait. Maybe I am thinking of that. Yeah, Game of Thrones is. And you never see him, but he was like no, Cersei's no. father, right? No, he was Cersei's. Oh yes, 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 and they killed him. Yeah, but yep. you never see that in the show. It wasn't. No, no, I don't even. I don't even know if it was their father. It could have been their father. Yeah, yes, the yeah, Mad yeah. King. It was, yeah. And they burned the whole city. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last one. Okay. Okay. This ruler has been depicted as a just, wise, and responsible leader, a gentle but firm father, and a strong and fierce protector when sufficiently provoked. He banished his brother and forced him into exile where he was forced to live off the barren land. He was quoted as saying, Look at the stars. The great kings of the past look down on us from those stars. <laughs> Whenever you feel alone, just remember that those kings will always be there to guide you. And so will I. He was later mercilessly killed by his brother. His death was passed off as accident, and the brother took over as ruler of the throne. <laughs> well done. It is fiction. Well, yeah, it's fiction. It is Mufasa. <laughs> I but, said, I said to Catherine, I was like, "Do you think I could like double get him? Like the same thing I did to you with Voldemort? Describe it in a way where you're like, I uh, think that's Mufasa, but maybe you're being a jerk and right. No, I, no, I that's based on Hamlet obvious. too, right? Yeah, I yeah. try to make it very obvious of like. Maybe the quote will be I mean, the like, Voldemort was very obvious and totally threw me, so it was, it was a good try again. Yeah. Um, so you got two on that one, four on that one, uh, and then five, I, out of, I, five out of eight. Well done. I got double points on two, right? Yep. So I, I the whole score being eight. So two, four, five. You got five right. Sick. Five out of eight. Well done, buddy. Thank you. You are amazing at life. So it wasn't bonus points. It was they were actually worth two each. Well, okay, fine. I guess you got five out of four then. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all you wanted to hear. I could put it up on the wall I'm then. I'm going to be a mighty king. <laughs> uh, well, this has been fun. I enjoyed this one. I do too. I feel we like can, I mean, there's room to do it again. And we will. Not next week. No. But another time. Yep. Um, as always, my friends. Please go to our social media, uh, subscribe, like, comment, share, all that kind of fun stuff. We are continuously doing our uh, Quick Explain Sundays. So uh, let us know some of these answers. Let us know if there are, are um, other monarchs, rulers, whatever you'd like yeah. to hear about next time. Because there's lots of time to do more. If you have another topic you want to send in, send that to info.spanning.com. And if you have... At gmail.com. What do I say? Info.spanning.com. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to get through it. I know. I'm so snacky. Um, or if you have a book like Justin. Yep. If you've got a company like Katie. Yep. If you've got a show, a production, a product. Music like Pete. Music like Pete. Yep. Let us know. Info.splaining at gmail.com. We hope you learned something this week. No, I did it again. Yeah. We hope you learn. We, we hope. hope. You, you learned. learned yeah, learned is the D. It is indeed. Yeah. yeah. We hope that you indeed have learned something this week. <laughs> and if you didn't, there's always next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Or in Spanish, Juana la Loca. Juana la Loca.